electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. A stock rally 35 years after the market's infamous Black Monday. Veteran Andy Sig from Merrill. 1987, since then, we've had four declared recessions. We have five times where the market's drawn down more than 20%. Nevertheless, markets are up more than 20-fold. And President Biden planning a release of more oil from the U.S. Strategic Reserve. The administration's energy whisperer, Amos Huckstein. With everything that we're seeing of what Russia is doing in Ukraine, I think this is the time for us to increase production at home. His reassurance from the White House North Lawn. There's no imminent threat of oil collapse. Those stories, plus inflation's prompting some tax changes from the IRS. Good news if you die this year. (laughs) And Netflix is surging, but the days of sharing your friend's ex-boyfriend's dad's password might be over. There are more than Will Smith's six degrees of separation people using these passwords. Crazy. It's Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's take a look at what's been happening with U.S. equity futures. Good afternoon and welcome to the Netflix Q3 2022 earnings interview. I'm Spencer Wong, VP of Finance, IR and Corporate Development. Joining me today are co-CEO Reed Hastings. Our interviewer this quarter is Doug Amuth from J.P. Morgan. As a reminder, we will be making forward-looking statements and actual results may vary. At the Code Conference uh, last month, um, Sundar uh, said that the Netflix-Microsoft ad deal is one of the biggest ad deals ever. At that same conference, Bob Iger said that linear TV was going off a cliff. He did. And uh, what we under, or what I underappreciated was just the impact on advertisers. They're just being able to reach fewer people, and then the 18 to 49 demographic is even faster than the decline in pay TV. So this is what uh, is really fueling the cycle, is the really collapse of uh, linear TV as an advertising vehicle outside of a few properties like sports. This is, uh, I don't know, what was this, Dahmer? Netflix shares are soaring. Did anyone really get Netflix so they could watch? get their details of Jeffrey Dahmer's life? I hope not. Earnings and revenue uh, beat estimates. The streaming service added 2.41 million net global subscribers. And that was more than double what the company had projected um, a quarter ago, but it used to add like 8 million. I think only 100,000 in the United States. Big percentage of this was out of Asia, Asia, by the way. It was. Uh, Netflix also detailed uh, its plans to begin cracking down on password sharing. There must be a way to do that next year. Uh, here's, founder, uh, and co- uh, here's founder and co-CEO Reed Hastings on the call last night. Thank God we're done with shrinking quarters. <laughs> so that's the big feeling of we're yeah. back to the positivity. Everything the company's focused on, whether that's on the content side, on marketing, uh, lowering prices to the ad supported, um, the paid sharing, uh, the thoughtful approach we're doing there uh, lines us up um, for a good next year. All the stars are lining up very well for us. 
And we're going to look at the shares, 274. Here's what I'll say. You know, I've, we, we all complain a little bit about our, our very strict, um, you know, if we could be in Congress, we'd be traded like crazy <laughs> compared to what we're allowed to do. We're not allowed to do anything. I've been here 30 years. And I don't really complain because it saved me a lot of money at times, yeah. not um, being able. Uh, but you would like to, you'd like to no, go I've said on Netflix? No, Is I've said your... many, many times, under 200. At, at 180, I would have bought as much as I maybe would have mortgaged the house and everything. Because at 700, it was the most beloved stock on the planet. And not knowing anything at below 200, I think you could have just easily just bought it with both hands. And we said it at the time, if you recall. Said so it here's, my, here's my password sharing question. So it sounds like come next year, uh, if your you know, uh, brother-in-law or friend or, or family member is using Netflix, you are going to get a notice to say, uh, would you like to add this person to your plan? Yeah. And then you will have to decide whether you are going to cut said person off or add them to your plan. Right. Or they're going to, and if you don't, then they're going to, then when the next time they try to log on, they're going to say, um, you know, would you like to join said plan? And they'll have a cheaper plan. I mean, it'll be like a family sharing plan. just figure plan. it out because you're not in the same house? I think that it's going to be a situation where you're not in the same either house slash zip code and with multiple things going on. What if you're a college student? You get kicked off the plan? Yeah. No, no. If you're, no, it's not, if you're a college student, you'll be part of a, a family plan. Yeah, I mean, the, you have to pay. the plan will go from $20 to $25 to add an additional person if, you, in fact. Yeah, but you're no longer part of the original family. You're no longer considered part of the original family they're if your selling kid goes like, to college. They're selling it like cable. Meaning the yeah. cable program is it's in your house. Yeah. They sell it to you in your house. If you are in that house, It's just you after get it. years of kind of treating us this way where the kids can even watch it when they go to school. What if a kid's watching it when they're away from home, you know? No, I, I think that the- How does I, that, I think you'll be on able their to, phone? You'll be able to stream it a couple, uh, you know, if, if you go on a trip, you'll be able to stream it if somebody else is at home. That's not no, gonna be a problem. But once you have kids who are 17, 16 years old, able to be other places with you on their phones, well, I've you, got four kids. Then you'll probably have the family plan. <laughs> we have the family plan. No, no, but, you'll but, have, they'll, and so- Your maybe, family plan is password sharing. Well, yeah, but, but right. when it's your four kids- I know, like, but it's gonna be, like, some people are gonna start getting- Well, I was gonna say that if, you know, as kids get a little older, if you're surprised that you're still getting bills for certain things, <laughs> you haven't been through this because many bills find their way back to, uh, find their way back to the home right. front. All it's bills, like my, I, I think almost all, maybe, because it entails checking accounts. Yeah, no, you'll, pot, you'll buy the family plan for everybody in your family. But we already have the family plan where everybody has their own profile on it. And then your profile doesn't work anymore just because you're in a different place. And I think if you're, you're not if you're, financially if, independent at this point, if you're for a family, sure, I think it's Joe's point. Yeah. I, I, so you, you think this is an unfair plan? No, it's just I think there are people who are cheating, but I don't think when I let my college age, freshman, co freshman in college use my account, that doesn't feel like cheating. If I'm letting somebody who... Is that like cheating? Do you don't think you should pay a higher fee? No, you, just talk to me when Henry right. and Max are a little older. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I, you are going to be the first one to complain about this. I think I'll end up having to pay, unfortunately. I think you're right. I, I mean, there, there are 
more than Will Smith's six degrees of separation, people using these passwords. Crazy, right? And that's, that's got, you know, if I were Netflix, I would I understand. I can understand that. And I don't, know how you, I don't know how you don't catch the rest of us who have our actual children who are still doing it. starting to come back a little, isn't he, Will Smith? I said, well, I thought about not saying it because is he canceled still? Or? Oh, what if you have a, boarding, a kid who's in boarding school? I don't know. You're going to have to call Reed. Got some I good, don't, I don't uh, you need to write all these down. All yes. the different situations where you... Because I think it's crazy that people cheat to a certain extent and they're sharing their password with anybody and everybody. When it's, boarding, your, when it's your nuclear family school, they that you're sharing the books, with. And they shouldn't be watching Netflix anyway because it's expensive. They should Not be getting a good education, school, good military type of, education. I can think of circumstances or, you know, the kid's just sleeping over at a friend's house. Right. right. It's not a one-time, but it won't, it won't kick in as a one-time thing. That's the point. How does it kick in? It'll kick in if, it, if, if your address is in New Jersey and there's somebody in California who's using the service, uh, you know. 20, Our freshman in college every, who's in every, California. And they'll pay for the service. Uh, I remember having to, you know, I have to pay for telephone service in a different location than where my parents lived. But the difference is we have conditioned people to think this and there could be some pushback along the way. And maybe, they're, maybe they easily convert it, maybe they don't. But this quarter's numbers were very good. I want to know whether, okay, so it's 695, I mean, you go to a movie, it's 20 bucks. So I understand that's not a lot, but I got to sit through ads. Why am I paying anything, you know? If you're paying 695? 695 a month on Netflix with the new ad supported thing. It's like, right. give it to me. If I'm watching ads, look, you get one or the other, you know? I, it, I, do I watch, it's only a few ads or something, but, right? I either I watch ad supported like or I watch free. I'm fine with free, I'm fine with free well, watching a few ads, huh? And pay. Six ninety five. I can. That's easy just, to afford. Just but up, yeah, and just pay. Your, how much is regular? Don't take cheaper Sixteen dollars. How much is regular? Depends, it depends which which plan you're on. If you're on the family plan, then you have it's free. Then no, <laughs> well, not anymore. We'll see. The IRS addressing the rapidly increasing cost of food, energy, and other household staples, adjusting tax rates for inflation. In typical years, that would mean an incremental movement, but this year it means a shift of about 7%. It's going to be taking effect across all tax brackets, so some taxpayers whose wages haven't kept pace with inflation may find themselves paying lower rates. For example, next year the top income tax rate of 37% will apply to individuals earning $578,000. That's up from about $540,000 this year. That change will affect other tax provisions as well. Heirs of wealthy people who die in 2023 will not need to pay estate taxes on the first $12.9 million that they inherit. That's an increase of about a million dollars over this year. So good news if you die this year. <laughs> I get those calls all the time about paying for my funeral. You know, do you get those? We'll pay them. And I always ask them the same thing. I go, do I have to die to get this benefit? And they just never have an answer to that. Because no one wants to say yes to that. But don't you do, right? Good news when you die. How do you sell? That's a tough, that's a tough sale. Die this year, Dad, not next tough year. Tough business, too. The whole funeral. But you know what? Consistent. Really, the, the, the funeral bit. Yes. Great book. Death love and one. Ever read it? Evelyn Waugh. It's a great book. I love her you stuff. Don't, you don't want it to be a growth business. Is the it's issue. a guy. You know, I, have to, I can't joke about that. No. Evelyn Waugh. Yeah. I should not say I love her stuff because someone, uh, mediaite, will say I thought it was a woman. Cheese will be next. 
Next on Squawk Pod, President Biden's planning a release of more crude oil from America's Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It could relieve gas prices, but is it a sure thing? White House Energy Advisor Amos Hochstein joins us. Even if oil prices fell to $50 a barrel because of a global recession, you would still pay $70 to replenish the SPR under those conditions. Is that what the administration's saying today? What we're saying is that as prices start coming down towards that $67 to $72, we're going to come back into the market as a buyer. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Did I say Squawk Box? I, pronunciation was a little off there. I'm Andrew Ross Dorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Let's talk about President Biden because he is set to announce an additional release of oil from the country's strategic petroleum reserve. That's going to happen today. It's expected to be in the range of 10 to 15 million barrels. The move would extend the current SPR delivery program, which began over the spring. And that move just three weeks ahead of the midterm elections. It is intended to counteract a European Union embargo on Russian oil, which is scheduled to go into effect on December 5th. It's likely uh, to add to volatility in the global, uh, global oil markets. And so far this year, the White House has now released about 165 million uh, barrels of oil from the Strategic, Repo- uh, strategic Reserve, uh, Strategic Pet- Petroleum Reserve, thank you very little, uh, and said that it would be around 180 million. Now, the reserve currently uh, stands at about four, a 40-year low, but it is far from empty. At capacity, it can hold about 714 million barrels. We've talked about uh, the debate about when do you use it and is this the appropriate time or not. Uh, sources tell CNBC that the president will announce uh, that he intends to repurchase oil for the reserve when prices are near a range of 67 to $72 per barrel. Got to figure out when that will be. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, White House's top energy advisor. So uh, we'll talk to Amos about all this. This is part of what he authorized. I think he authorized 180. Yep. This is the this last is, part of that. Yep. A lot of different feelings on it. Um, emergency. It, it, the way we talk about inflation, we talk about it like it's an emergency. I, so I don't, Jurgen, I, I, you know, I usually, he's not, doesn't usually say things that aren't fairly reasonable. And Jurgen said, yeah, this probably you'd see it as an emergency. $5 a gallon gas for American consumers. It's not a, uh, an emergency in the sense of you know shutting down production because of a hurricane in the Gulf or something. But kind of, and if if we do, uh, if the Fed says what it's going to do, we should get a chance at 67 to 72, right? Because global demand, if there is a recession, 
may allow us yes. to, to rethaw it. And that'd be good, sell high, buy low, it, it all, it, so, so I'm not, there, I have you know, a couple I'm of not jumping up and down about. No, about. but I have a couple of problems with it. it. It's counter to some of the things that we would like to incentivize. For example, if you would like to see oil companies, American oil companies drill more and, and put more money into additional pumping, right. well, if you're trying to bring down prices, it's not exactly a great incentivizing factor for them, especially when they're paying more right now for everything from labor to the pipes to try and get these things done because of inflation. If you want them to drill more, driving oil prices down immediately probably doesn't help that. Second of all, every time we release additional oil from the SPR, the Saudis offset it by cutting production there probably. anyway. So it's, you know. But it's a it, chicken it's, egg thing. No, right. but it's like do trying to fight the Fed. Do we release it after they cut or do they cut but, after we release it? But it's like trying to fight the Fed. Like you yeah. may have a big SPR, but you don't have a big enough SPR to put off anything that the Saudis end up doing. It's, um, you know, there's tricky things that are at play with it. Um, I, I understand Jurgen's point that $5 gasoline may be an emergency. Right. That makes sense to me. But, but, the but on the flip side, in terms of the incentive, and I also agree that we need to incent more, more people to, uh, to pump effectively, but the timing of that would have been problematic. I mean, you couldn't have done that meaningfully it, this is in true. time this is to capture what you need to, to be able to do. But right. if you want the longer term to be fixed, bringing prices down immediately. But, no, I understand that, but you don't. But do you, th I guess, here's the question: Do you think that by doing this, folks in the in, in the energy complex say, actually, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drill. I'm not gonna do any of this no, because I, I they're gonna, think, no, they're gonna, they're gonna is, kill me later right. by, I, I don't think by, this is the only, by running the petroleum reserve against me. But you're no, right. I don't, it, I don't think it's the only right. reason. I just think it's high prices. To it takes time to turn the spigots on, and I mean, we only have till November, so I mean, we had to do it. Well, <laughs> you know, the, but the other thing That's is, the other thing. I don't know how no, I know. I, I, I'm reasonable about that. And, and I like the 67 to 72, I think, is it's not throwing a bone to uh, the majors, but that'd be a pretty good floor. The Saudis you know? don't think so anymore. Yeah, they like higher OPEC, than that. OPEC plus. But it's not 30. And it, it's a, you know, I I, it, it would bring some stability, I think, to American producers to think if, if 70 is the floor. You know, you'd keep fracking, you'd keep doing it. OPEC plus, I think, is looking at 80 plus being the floor. Um, at least that's every indication that they've shown. Right. Joining us right now with more on the president's plan is Amos Hochstein. He is special presidential coordinator for international energy affairs. And Amos, uh, this is more of the release that had previously been announced. Um, I guess there are a lot of questions that come with this, though. Is it necessary right now? Is it needed? Yeah, look, Becky, first of all, good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, the president's going to do a few things today. First, as you said, he's going to announce that the Department of Energy is going to sell another 15 million barrels out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, uh, basically rounding out the 180 that the president talked about a few months ago that has helped bring down prices from their peak at about $120 to today where they are, I think today at about $83 or so for WTI uh, and a couple of dollars more than that. Uh, towards 90 at, at Brent. But we're also going to be announcing a second thing, and that is asking the industry uh, to continue to increase production and to increase capex. And to that end, to support that and to incentivize that, to announce that we're going to intend to replenish the SPR over the next several years, uh, the full 200 million barrels. And we're going to set a price of somewhere around $70. So if prices reach that range of 67 to 72 or so, we're going to start buying back. So that means that companies will know uh, in the United States that there is a, a sort of a floor putting, putting there at around $70 that will allow them a certainty for investments today to increase production. 
You know, almost that, that's a huge question. Setting a floor for it, for allowing them to increase production at $84, it's still not all that attractive to some of these companies. And, and it's more than just concerns that oil prices will come down a little bit in time. I, I think if you talk to any of those big oil executives, they'll tell you they're worried about whether they'll be allowed to continue to go forward with some of their, their plans, whether the drilling will get more complicated. I mean, it's if they were to ask, it's probably not having a set floor for filling the SPR at $70 that would be at the top of their wish list in order to incentivize them to spend more. Well, Becky, I've got to tell you, we do talk to them. I've talked to the CEOs of almost every single one of the major oil producers uh, this past week, uh, and, uh, and I talk to them quite regularly, and I, I will, and so do my colleagues. So, and I've got to tell you, this actually, they, they think this is helpful um, to them. Uh, there is no... You know, this is like shadow boxing. Like, there's no regulation that stops them. They have all the regulations, all the permits, all the leases, all the allowances to be able to increase production. They have a price certainty uh, that they've had over $100 for several months. Now it's been, uh, you know, in the 80s uh, for the last couple of months. So they have every kind of environment that they need to increase production. Uh, and to say that maybe sometime in the future there'll be a regulation that they don't like. That, that's not really the reason for, for stopping to invest today uh, in America. They have the cash flow, they have the ability to do it. And with everything that we're seeing of what Russia is doing in, in Ukraine, I think this is the time for us to increase production at home. Uh, we know that other international events can take place that will restrict access to, to products and increase prices for consumers. And at the end of the day, Becky, it's in their incentive. If consumers have lower prices on energy, uh, then the economy is going to be healthier, which will ultimately support their goals as well. So having this kind of a, a price environment where we know where the low would be and we, and we can control the high side, uh, I think that's, that's exactly what the U.S. economy needs. And uh, frankly, it's what American consumers want. I don't know. I, I think the energy executives would say, on the one hand, you're telling us to pump more. On the other hand, you're releasing oil from the SPR to try and bring prices down. I mean, those are conflicting signals right, right in themselves. No, I don't think these are conflicting signals. When prices are, you remember, just a few days ago, prices were at $92. Prices are now down at $84. Uh, yesterday, we had a major decline in prices, partly because the leak of what the president was going to do today. So we've already seen that impact in the price. And that's why we're keeping it there. But I don't remember a time when we said that $84 was a low price of oil, or 70 for that matter. So I think that this price is, we're trying to bring the price down for consumers. And that's what matters at the end of the day, uh, that Americans can feel like when they go fill up their cars uh, with diesel or gasoline or heating oil for the winter, uh, that the, it's available and it's affordable. And that's what ultimately will uh, make sure the economy is growing. And, and I got to tell you, we talk to the companies. They have what they need. Uh, so I'd, I've, I have never spoken to a CEO of an oil company in the last several weeks who told me I don't have what I need to increase production from the government. They may complain about uh, the labor market or other things, but not about saying that they need something from the U.S. government in order to increase production and, and reduce prices. Well, almost we talk to them, too, and, and they will say, even if they don't say it on the record, they will tell you that, look, this administration has been pretty clear about what it wants to see in terms of a transition to getting off of fossil fuels. That is a tricky time to ask people to invest more money, more CapEx spending, particularly when their shareholders have told them they would like a return on capital. So let's be very clear, Becky, and let's, you know, we talk about the energy transition as the boogeyman here. 
there is no doubt that the oil industry and the Biden administration do not see eye to eye when it comes to the long term of where, where we'd like to go and the role of oil in the, in the global economy in the long term. But we're talking about right now in the next short to medium term where we're going to be needing additional flows of oil and gas in order to, while we accelerate the energy transition. We talk about movement to electric vehicles by 2030 to 2035. We're still, we know that for the next several years, we're going to have to have supply of energy resources, of natural resources uh, into the economy. We know that, they know that, we don't have no disagreement there. So what we're trying to make sure is that we actually have affordable prices for the American economy to continue to grow. And that's what the president is, is determined to do. He has called on them to increase production. And these are short cycle. This is not long cycle investments. These are relatively short cycle investments onshore in the United States. You're talking about what, a few billion dollars, tens of billions of dollars? I think we're talking about the billions of dollars that would be necessary for them to make the investments today. I don't think any of them doubt that in the short to medium term, they will be recouping those investments uh, in the price environment that we're talking about with us now coming and saying, the president saying we will buy back uh, oil at $70, meaning there's no imminent threat of oil collapse uh, beyond that point without the U.S. government coming in as a, as a buyer. Look, we need this oil back in the SPR at some point. Let's just say even if oil prices fell to $50 a barrel because of a global recession, because things turned down and demand wasn't there, you would still pay $70 to, to replenish the SPR under those conditions? Is that what the administration is saying today? What we're saying is that as prices start coming down towards that 67 to $72, we're going to come back into the market as a buyer uh, and a significant buyer at that, which means that there'll be a demand signal that comes in at $72 and below. As prices goes down, we're going to continue to buy uh, and to slow down that process. That is not where the trajectory of prices are going right now. Uh, so we're trying to keep it from going higher uh, and giving an incentive. We're not saying prices are about to collapse anytime soon, unfortunately, uh, but we do see that um, we want to make sure the companies know that if prices come down sometime in the future because of, because of economic conditions or things happening around the world, then we will be there as a buyer to replenish the SPR, which we, by the way, we will need. We have over 400 million barrels in the SPR now, which is enough to address uh, imminent dangers or hurricanes or, or other concerns, but we want to be able to have an SPR that can serve our national security. So we're buying it because we need it, and we're buying it because we want to give this incentive. Look, companies have made remarkable profits over the last uh, several months and, and year, and we think it's time to invest those back here in America. Invest them back here and make sure the prices don't escalate to a point that it slows down the economy. And, and hurts consumers. So I think that that's fair ask to make. And when you've made this ask in the last few weeks to the big oil companies, explaining to them that you are going to provide um, you know, this, this price that you would be refilling the SPR, did they say that that was enough to say, yes, it makes it worth their while? I've never heard a company that tells me that it's enough, but they all tell me that they welcome this step and this is something that will have an impact on their decision-making on, on CapEx. Look, I think most of them are looking to increase uh, production in the coming months, they're uh, between now and the end of the year, and the first half of 2023. So I expect to see additional increases in production anyway, uh, and I think this is to incentivize them to continue that path and to increase it even further. Almost thank you. Almost Hochstein from the White House. We appreciate your time. Always a pleasure.
Next on Squawk Pod, it's been 35 years. A shattering six and a half hours on Wall Street. Shoulder pads, Whitney Houston, and a very black Monday for investors. The lessons from 1987 that are still with us now. So that was frightening, but the NASDAQ is already down 35% in a slow, sort of a sickening drop. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. The 80s. Today, October 19, is the 35th anniversary of the 1987 stock market crash. In trading rooms on Wall Street, there was panic. Here's NBC Nightly News anchor Tom Brokaw back in 87. A shattering six and a half hours on Wall Street. The Dow off more than 500 points. Paper losses more than $500 billion. October 19, 1987. Wall Street's Black Monday. It was the single worst day in the history of the U.S. stock market. At current levels, a drop like 1987's would translate to about a 7,000-point loss for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Back then, inflation was creeping up, trade deficits rising. Here at the White House, they say they don't plan to do anything. No big campaigns to bolster confidence, no dramatic actions. And the reason is they say that the economy is basically sound. Two days after the crash, the CEO of Merrill Lynch, William Schreier, was in a TV commercial, which ran during the World Series. It's important to everyone. It provides capital that creates jobs to make America grow. Emotions can run high during market turbulence, just when reason should prevail. We are confident in the markets. We've stayed active in them for all investors. America's economy is the strongest in the world with great ability to bounce back. At Merrill Lynch, we're still bullish on America. I'll hand it back now to Joe Kernan, a one-time Merrill Lynch trainee who still has a pin in the shape of the firm's famous bull logo. You pick the three top billionaires, they lose that now uh, in, you know, in, in a week. First, let's talk about the current state of market. Well, uh, in markets with Andy Sieg, president of Merrill Lynch uh, Wealth Management. He oversees more than uh, $3 trillion in client assets. He joins us now for an exclusive conversation about what's Similar to what's different, I have, I put this on, I'm not, uh, I'm not advertising for Merrill Lynch, but I trained at Merrill Lynch, as, as I've made clear again, back in 1981. The reason I bring that up in is because we were at 780 in 1981. Reagan became president. In 1987, the high that year was not 780, it was 20, about 2750. That's the kind of five-year period that we had. What were you doing then? You were you well, were young. I, I was so. in college at that point. Um, it's great to see the bull, by the way. Once a member of the Thundering Herd, always a member. I, I think that's true. Um, great the, firm. Uh, 1987, since then, uh, we've had four declared recessions. We have five times where the market's drawn down more than 20%. Nevertheless, markets are up more than 20-fold 
uh, yeah. since 1987, just to keep it in perspective. People, a couple of things people forget. 1987 started at about 1800. The market had gained 43 percent to 2700 and change. And then it stayed there till in August, and it stayed there till about October 2nd. October 2nd, uh, between October 2nd and the 16th of October, it had dropped 15% in a two-week period. Then it dropped another 23%. So that was frightening. But the NASDAQ is already down, is down 35% in a slow, sort of a sickening drop yeah. for eight months. So we're, we're, we have sim a similar uh, percentage loss in the NASDAQ that we had at the end of the crash. Yeah. I mean, when you, uh, Joe, when you look at the markets today, we think we're about 90% of the way to what a, a normal drawdown looks like when we see, when we see a bear market unfolding. Um, as you said, there's some similarities, of course, with 1987, but there's much more that is different. I mean, when you think about the strength of the U.S. economy today, think about where the consumer is. The consumer's hanging in there. They've been very resilient. Um, and, and around our client base, we see innovation uh, and many other things happening, indicative of ongoing strength in the real economy. So, you know, from our standpoint, markets are going to remain under pressure while the Fed is in this tightening cycle. But when you think medium and long term, back to our 87 reference, you have to be bullish. The economic backdrop, though, with, with it's, it's a little eerie. And we were coming to the end of, of that horrific 70s period. I mean, yeah. the 80s ushered in a much better environment than we had. This feels more like at least the comparisons are drawn to what we saw in the 70s, but maybe the comparisons aren't accurate. I mean, uh, is it going to become hyperinflation we, we, that lasts a number of years? We don't think the comparisons are accurate. There were, you know, there were a series of both, you know, real economic crises, of course, in the 1970s and policy missteps in the 1970s. You know, obviously what we're dealing with today, coming out of the pandemic, uh, we needed to throw everything at it, monetary policy, fiscal policy. I don't think we should be surprised. The pendulum's swinging fairly wide uh, in markets. You know, that's why, you know, Brian Moynihan and our team, we try to stay focused on clients and on the consumer uh, as a bellwether. And again, there's strength there. Uh, consumers are hanging in there. Uh, and, for, you know, from our standpoint, this is a very different world than the world of the 1970s. Energy independence, by the way, is, is one of the main differences. That, that's uh, interesting. I'm just trying to glean something from what your guys are telling you in gals and what we're doing here. So if we're still talking buy, sell, or hold individual stocks, uh, that may not be reaching as many people as we could reach if we did what? If we talked more about planning? Well, I mean, more hey, I, I think that uh, I think for many of our clients, um, we, they, they love the conversation every day, but when it comes to actually making portfolio decisions, you know, it can be a trap for them to be buying and selling, you know, all day, every day. We need, we need to keep them focused on medium and long-term asset allocation. That's where wealth, right. real wealth is created. We're going to broaden out the show. We're going to start talking about these things, all right? You up for that? I'm ready for it. Ready for it. But we're ready? All right. We don't have a buy, help, sell, or hold segment uh, anymore. Um, maybe that'll come back. <laughs> Someday. Right? Well, hey, there, there's room. There's room for everything in the markets, <laughs> but you know, but that that long-term perspective again. Well, that I, is my last question. Are uh, you still bullish on America? Absolutely. Because I, I mean, remember that, Schreier that harkens said back to Bill, Bill Schreier's famous commercial this week during the World Series with markets on edge. That was amazing. He said, yeah. "We're still bullish on America." It had a big impact. It resonates 35 and years later. In '87, it, it was higher in December than it was in January in 1987. But we didn't get back to 27. 50 
till for two more years, which was a long wait yeah. as a retail broker. Andy, thanks. Hey, Good to have you, you on. I, Great to be I'll here. I'll probably take this off, but I, I, I'm not endorsing. I just had it on just as a, I don't know, nostalgia. Thanks. Thank you. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, for unearthing the 1987 TV ad featuring the firm's leader 35 years ago. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.